It's Thursday, the 20th of February, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, Michael Bloomberg takes to the stage in Nevada. Donald doesn't want to run against me because he knows I know what he's done. I know how to take him on. I've taken him on on guns and on coal and on a number of other things, and every time I've beaten him. But with Bernie Sanders surging in the polls, can the billionaire Democratic hopeful win enough support? Plus, Italy's former Prime Minister Matteo Renzi plots yet another comeback. And a look inside Monocle's new Austria special. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. Despite having declared his intent to become the Democratic nominee for president months ago, Michael Bloomberg's first official step into the selection process only came last night when he took part in a TV debate in Nevada. But with Bernie Sanders surging in the polls, can a billionaire former mayor of New York win enough support among voters? Monocle's Andrew Muller takes a closer look. Mike Bloomberg, 78 next month, is a late entry into the Democratic field and can brandish a reasonably impressive political resume. He won three terms as mayor of New York City, the first two as a Republican, a fact he will be hoping to pitch as evidence of bipartisan pragmatism as opposed to cynical opportunism. Bloomberg's real asset, however, is a bottomless pit of his own money. The financial services and media tycoon is nigh certainly one of the dozen richest people on earth. Here's Jacob Parakilis, associate at LSE Ideas and American Affairs Analyst. Michael Bloomberg's extremely large fortune certainly gives him advantages that other Democratic candidates don't have. He doesn't have to worry about fundraising. He doesn't have to worry that he will run out of money to buy airtime or hire staff. But it's also a little bit of a liability for him, especially in a Democratic Party, which is moving in a more populist direction, especially on economic issues. Someone essentially saying, I'm rich enough to not have to deal with fundraising doesn't necessarily stand in good order next to the more people-powered campaigns, particularly those of uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. So tonight we say to Michael Bloomberg and other billionaires, sorry, you ain't gonna buy this election. And the other problem is that money doesn't necessarily translate into votes. Just look at the extremely well-funded campaign of Jeb Bush in 2016. Bush started with more than $100 million and ended up with zero delegates. So certainly you need something more than money to be competitive. Mike Bloomberg started as a middle-class kid who had to work his way through college, then built a business... So I think the fact that Michael Bloomberg is genuinely incredibly wealthy and did actually start from a relatively normal place in life, as opposed to the fact that Trump's the extent of Trump's fortune is a matter of great dispute, and he started on third base, as it were, gets under Trump's skin. I've known Michael Bloomberg for a long time. If you go back early on, he had... He said a lot of great things about Trump, but I know Michael, he became just a nothing. There is nobody I'd rather run against than little Michael, that I can tell you. 
Whether that's actually an electoral significantly significant matter, I think, is more open to dispute. It's a good question about the extent to which getting under Trump's skin will actually change political strategy, will change voter behavior. Bloomberg's pitch to Democrats is that he has a record of activism and donation on three or four issues that are very, very dear to Democratic voters, gun control, the environment, LGBT rights. The problem for him there is that while he certainly has thrown a lot of money at those causes, his positions aren't notably more aggressive on them than the median of the democratic field. All of the Democrats believe in more gun control. So I'm not sure that it's necessarily a winning position, especially coupled with Bloomberg's neoliberal views on economics, which are much more aligned with, if not the Republican Party, then certainly the right wing of the Democratic Party. But when New York suffered the terrible tragedy of 9-11, he took charge, becoming a three-term mayor who brought a city back from the ashes and brought back jobs and hope with it. Bloomberg pitched him or pitches himself in terms of his mayoral record as someone who successfully managed the city in the wake of its most horrific disaster, the 9-11 attacks. And I think there is something theoretically valuable in that pitch and on a political level. The problem for him, particularly in the Democratic primary, but also in terms of how he brings out Democratic voters if he becomes the nominee, is that the other thing he's most known for is aggressively defending the New York Police Department's racially biased stop and search policies. I got something important wrong. I didn't understand that back then, the full impact that stops were having on the black and Latino communities. I was totally focused on saving lives, but as we know, good intentions aren't good enough. I now see that we could and should have acted sooner and acted faster to cut the stops. I wish we had. I'm sorry that we didn't. He only apologized for those once he started running for president, and presumably someone told him what proportion of the Democratic base are African-American and Hispanic, and how little a chance he would have of winning the nomination without those votes. I think that probably reads to many voters as quite insincere. The polling right now suggests that if Michael Bloomberg were to go up against Donald Trump, he would probably win. That's also true of the other four leading Democratic nominees. So Bloomberg can certainly make the case that he is electable against Donald Trump. The tricky thing for him is making the case that he's electable in an environment where no other Democrat is. And that's worth making the compromise from voting for someone who has a record of loyalty to the Democratic Party versus someone who is only recently a Democrat and actually doesn't really share Democratic core views on pocketbook issues, which after all tend to be incredibly determinative in voting behavior. Jacob Parakilis there, ending that report by Andrew Muller. To Italy now, where former Prime Minister Matteo Renzi is said to be plotting yet another comeback. Monocle's Chiara Ramella reports. Even by the standards of turbulent Italian coalitions, Matteo Renzi's challenge to the stability of the current government is baffling. The former Prime Minister had already left the main centre-left Democratic Party, which is currently in a coalition with the more populist Movement Five Stars, to create his own Italia Viva party late last year. 
Now Renzi is threatening to withdraw his new party's backing for Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte's government over disagreements on judicial reforms, potentially depriving it of enough votes to stay in power and manufacturing a crisis just six months after his erstwhile party gained power. A political crisis may yet be avoided. Allegiances in Italian politics are shifting and new centrist parties may be created in the coming days and weeks that could prop up the coalition instead. The move only makes sense from Renzi's personal perspective. It gives him incredible visibility after years on the sidelines of the main political action. But it comes at a high credibility cost if Renzi's personal vanity forces yet more instability. Or, possibly worse, topples yet another government. And finally, the new issue of Monocle magazine arrives at all good newsstands today. And it's an Austrian special. Our affairs editor and resident Austrian, Christopher Sermak, takes a look inside. Why does Austria matter? It's a question I've wrestled with over the past few months, as we here at Monocle planned out an entire magazine issue dedicated to this tiny alpine country, the country that my father hails from. And I didn't just have to wrestle with the question in private, either. I was tasked with answering it. You'll find an entire essay dedicated to the subject of Why Austria Matters in the affairs section of this special March issue of Monocle, which comes out today. Finding the answer has been something of a self-discovery mission. I may be part Austrian, but I only lived there in my pre-teens. So researching Austria for this issue has also involved exploring my own heritage. That meant looking at everything from the enduring relevance of its imperial Habsburg past to the way that Austria wields its cultural heritage on the global soft power stage today. And perhaps most importantly, at least for a political junkie like myself, it meant exploring the surprising lessons that Austria holds for today's puzzling political moment. For a country that seems so conservative and traditional to the outside observer, Austria is surprisingly experimental. In politics, its new conservative green government just might help redefine the types of coalitions needed to answer today's biggest political challenges. In diplomacy, its attempts at outreach to Central Europe could help bring a divided continent together. In culture, it's exploring ways to give classical music and theatre a modern touch. It could be that all or none of these experiments bear fruit. After all, its new government could collapse, mediation role fail, and classical music remains stuck in the past. But its attempts nevertheless bear watching. Why does Austria matter? Perhaps because it's daring to mess with tradition. That's more than most countries around the world can say. My thanks to Christopher Sermak. Elsewhere on today's agenda... India's Supreme Court has ordered the government to grant permanent commission and command positions to female officers. Women can currently only serve for 10 to 14 years in the Indian Army, and this new ruling allows them longer tenures, as well as the same opportunities and benefits as their male counterparts, including ranks, promotions and pensions. And do you fancy a whopper? What a difference! A day made. Well, you might just be put off Burger King's top-selling sandwich when you see the chain's latest ad campaign. The TV spot shows the famous burger turning moldy in a time-lapse video over 34 days. The aim is to promote its lack of artificial preservatives, though it may have you opting for a salad instead. 
Read more about today's stories by subscribing to our daily email bulletin at our website. I'm Ben Raylan. The Monocle Minute returns on Friday. Thank you.